Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 325. We're going mobile. Yes. Our world, you know, what we do is not a big deal. It's food and drinks, man. Who cares? But if you can, like, put yourself into it and, like, make the people that you interact with make their lives a little bit better, you're doing something for the world. And that's important. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is Click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. Are you opening a restaurant and stressing out with where to start? Or perhaps you've already opened your restaurant and you're finding yourself completely overwhelmed with the day-to-day task that only you know how to do. If you feel this way, I've got good news. You don't have to do it alone, nor should you regain control of your business and your life with restaurants owner.com and if you go to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable you will get a 10 day pass for only one dollar get on it with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest michael pazin michael man you gotta tell me are you feeling unstoppable today I cannot be stopped. <laughs> that's the first time I've ever done this live, and I have to admit that it really feels like 10 times. It always feels cheesy every time I do it, but now it feels super cheesy, uh, but it's fun. I'm a cheesy dude, so embrace it. Um, so special thanks to RJ Joyce over at Louis for calling out Michael Pazden. If you guys call people out, I make it happen. And... Quick aerial view, originally from the Northeast, Michael Pazin started sinking his teeth into the hospitality industry after moving to New York City in 1999. It was his time in in New York City where he fell in love with food and drink. After 11 years in New York, he moved to Napa Valley and ended up staying there for an additional five years. In around 2015, it was time to head back home to the Northeast where he is today, the founder and mixologist. Is that a correct founder mixologist or that's, that's <laughs> of the Wallingford uh, drum in Kittery, Maine? So that, like I said, is just a huge aerial view. I can't wait to learn more about you and how you got to where you are today, Mike. But first, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. Take it away. Well, you know, I mean, success quote or mantra. I mean, we have a lot of them here at the Dram. Um, and I don't know if they're motivational exactly, <laughs> but they're sustaining. Okay. Uh, and our favorite one is it's not weird. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Dive into that and why why is that so impactful with you and your team? How's it helped? Well, I mean, I mean, when you're a bartender, when you're even if you're a server, um, you know, like you're you're spending your entire day, uh, twelve hours a day, 
five, six days a week, like, like swimming in other people's emotions. Mm. Um, and if you really care, um, you deal with a lot of weirdness, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, like, and, and sometimes it gets personal, you know, like my management style in general is not what a lot of people would consider like, like traditional. Um, like I want to talk about, I want to talk about your feelings. I want to talk about your day. I want to talk about your life. I want to talk about everybody's day in life. Yeah. Um, and when we when we get down to the nitty gritty of it, like um, it gets weird. But we have to remind ourselves it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's and part of I gotta call my boy right now, Jameson Faulkner, because he always loves to say uh, it's not weird unless you make it weird. And I think that just that applies so well to this this example of you just putting that that uh emphasis on just weirdness like don't make it weird but like just keep it cool because people feed off your energy and uh i also love that you you mentioned your management style which i'm sure we're going to dive into but let's kind of take it back uh when did you know that uh this was going to be your career and for like not just a right now job like how did you get into the industry and take us through that transitional moment sure absolutely um you know i i mean i got into this like everybody on my way to do something else um and, uh, you know, I, I had worked in various restaurants and, uh, cafes and coffee shops and all of that when, when I was in my teens okay. and, uh, then went to college, uh, was on my way to, you know, be like whatever else, an artist, an academic, all those things. Um, those were different options. And, uh, after college, um, Worked as a freelance writer for a little while uh, and hated it. Um, absolutely hated it. Um, decided to uh, ditch that option. Uh, <laughs> so why did you hate it? I'm curious. Well, it was, it was one of those things. It was like the, uh, I made a promise to myself. Like, uh, you know, like uh, the next time a VP of marketing says to me, this is not the New Yorker, I'm going to quit. <laughs> It happened twice, and it happened a third time, and I quit. So what does that mean? I'm just curious. Like, what does that mean if somebody says that to you, for somebody who's not maybe necessarily familiar with different types of writings, formats, or styles? Sure. I mean, you know, like, I, I was doing a lot of, like, advertising copy, um, and, you know, at the, I was young. Okay. I, I was inexperienced. I was not cut out for the, the career that I was, I was going into. Um, and you know, I wanted, I wanted to write the great American novel or something like that. You know, like I I wanted to like be cool and do all the things. Um, but instead I was, you know, writing about like, Oh, isn't this cool? It's great. It's awesome. (laughs) Uh, I was supposed to be writing that and, and I wasn't that great at it, honestly. Um, and long story short, I, I, uh, dished that sort of cool. path. Um, started working, I was living in New York at the time. Uh, started working with friends on like, you know, film projects, that sort of thing. Kind of pro bono. The money ran out uh, and I had to get a real job again or a job again. Uh, and uh, I started working at a restaurant uh, that happened to be a really good restaurant. Um, and you know, popular restaurant. Uh, 
And, you know, I've always loved food and drink. Like, I I grew up in a very, like, food and drink forward family. Um, And at that time, I realized, like, you know, like, standing behind the bar, like, I I was there with, like, you know, there would be food writers, there would be chefs, there would be, like, just interested individuals. Yeah. Um, and throughout my, like, life, like, whether it was in writing or if it was in academia or whatever, like, all I wanted to do was, like, make people kind of feel more about what they were experiencing. Like, delve deeper into, like, what seems to be mundane, but is actually, like, well-connected to, you know, like... The, the broader scheme of things. And behind the bar, I started to realize that, like, across a plate or a glass, we were able to, like, connect people to, like, emotions, to, you know, like, history, to... Uh, a very <laughs> theoretical, but, like, very, very, like, bodily felt... Um, reality uh that was not necessarily accessible Mm. um i basically like i was doing more good work for humanity behind a bar (laughs) uh than i ever did as a copywriter so how long did it take you to figure that out like you're working in the industry like when did you start to realize like holy shit i love this I want to do this more. This is this might be my jam. Did you have a moment like that where like it kind of clicked for you? Absolutely. Um, you know, and I remember when it was. Uh, it was, you know, it was mid two thousands. I don't remember exactly when the day was, but I okay. remember being like, "Holy shit!" So man. like six years into your career. Well, well in a way, yeah. I mean, you know, I. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. But I was, you know, I, I was I was standing behind the bar describing a cheese. and I saw the guest in question light up Um, and like I realized that we had taken this like like basic material product and like activated it in a certain way that made this guest enjoy their experience more and also probably Think about the world in a different way. Mm. And I was like, this is incredible. We're taking something so mundane. It's food. We all have to eat. Or it's drinks. We all have to. Well, we don't have to drink, but we (laughs) do. Um, And we can turn this into something that's going to, like, like, make fireworks in people's brains. Yeah. And that was when I, I said, like, all right, this is it. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, man, I love it. And it's just that acknowledgement that the magic happens on, like, the most smallest level. Like, the most, like, when you really impact people, it's, like, those little moments. Like, not the big picture moments, but, like, the little moments. And uh, it seems like you just get that and you you just, tre- like, treasure that, that, that moment to just change somebody's day. And uh, I love it, man. And one thing I just want to point out that I thought was beautiful is um, your willingness to, to, to re- like, admit that honestly, that sincerity, when people admit that they're not okay at something, that just is a sign of um, self-awareness that most people aren't really really willing to um, expose. Uh, but I think that's a huge 
element in success in this industry of just knowing where you belong, where you don't belong and being honest about your strengths and weaknesses. Um, you're going to have to know where you're good and where you're not good to make it in this industry and surround yourself with other people who are good where you're weak. So just, I think it was really cool to just admit that. So I just want to put, you know, highlight that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like again, getting back to like that idea of that, this is a very personal industry, you know, like we spend so much time with, with each other. I mean, we spend more time with each other than we do with our significant others. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that work wife thing. Yep. Oh my God, that's real. Um, <laughs> but, and, and if you can't like open up to people mm. and like be real about your emotions, like, and your weaknesses and, mm. and your strengths and that sort of thing, you're not, you're not doing justice mm. to like what we could potentially do i love it man i love it this is going to be great we're starting off we're just getting started and there's bombs of knowledge being dropped already uh so i let's fast forward um i caught something online with you saying something about your time at or in new york where you're surrounded by people who are just you're learning new things every day and you're being challenged by people every day um when did you start having a vision? I guess I'll, I'll backpedal. When did you start having a vision of where you wanted to be with this career? And how did you start learning and living intentionally to get to that destination? Well, I mean, you know, when I was in New York, it was like, it was the two thousands. I spent all of my twenties in New York and like, I moved there in 99 and, you know, left there 11 years later. Um, it was a cool time, especially for cocktails in New York because it was like kind of like the start of the cocktail revolution yeah. and that sort of thing. So you had these bars opening like PDT and Death and & Company. Um, and honestly, it was a really friendly community. I mean, I worked in restaurants. Like I wasn't a cocktail bartender. I don't particularly relish the idea of going home at six in the morning. So um, that was never my jam. Mm -hmm. But I was around all these people that were working in the cocktail bars and I was working in restaurants and they were my guests, my regulars. I was their guests, their regulars. And we would kind of like share information. Um, It was, it was exciting. You know, I mean, like we, like bartenders were doing something different. um, That was old, but new. Um, it was it was just a good time. You yeah, know what I mean, and the, so and let's dive into like what exactly was happening during that early two thousand to mid two thousand period, where it was exciting. Like, what was it? Just old methods coming back to being used. Like, what what was happening? Dive into that. Well, I mean, it was. I mean, there was a lot of things about technique and and like you know the the technical composition, the culinary composition of a cocktail. But a a lot of it was also like more personal. It was, it was about being a bartender and saying like, this is real. This is not something that like we're doing to get somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It is actually a career. Mm. This is something that we're going to delve into. This is something we're going to take pride in. Uh, You know, it was like, it was, it was laying the stepping stones for, for the next generations yep. it was going back to like the 1800s when when uh you know bartending was an apprentice oriented trade uh you know you worked as an apprentice for a long time to get to the point where you would be like a saloon or okay owner. gotcha um and what we were learning is how to like take pride in ourselves and like care about our craft which is not only about making good drinks but it's also about hospitality yeah it's about once you get really into it, it's about 
all sorts of other things, uh, business and the rest of it. Um, but about like, you know, laying the foundations that we never really had, uh, going into it for these next generations of people that would like come to us and say like, well, how do we do this? I'm like, well, it's not as easy as you'd think it'd be, but, (laughs) uh, uh, here's the things you have to know, you know, like, you know, like being like, let's make a life of this. Mm. Um, I love the emphasis. I just got to highlight this real quick that you said, you know, it's like bringing up the next wave of people. Um, and I think for a period of time, like we got so transactional with employment um, where, yeah, like when you were like, you know, like you said, what, the 19, what, what year was it when the time frame you referenced when people like you're a bartender, then you, it was kind of an apprentice to being the saloon owner. When was that? Well, the 1800s. Yeah. Like the golden age of bartending being like the mid to late 1800s. But I mean, I think that should be the mentality that we all have. Um, that th- we, even if that person's intention isn't to be a saloon owner, treat them like they are an apprentice and, and give them the knowledge, every, everything they need to know to one day go open their own place. Because if they do have that spark or if you do ignite it in them, man, like that could be a huge resource for you in the future. But I don't think as owners, people recognize their employees like that. Do you? I think the best ones do. Yeah. I mean, you know, and one thing about New York, which is great, um, is, you know, like I worked with a lot of people that, you know, in real life, quote unquote, uh, you know, they were an actor, they were a writer, whatever. Good thing about New York slash bad thing about New York is like everybody's replaceable. Mm. Um, so, okay. Yeah. You're, you're a musician. Get me some ice. (laughs) Um, the great, that's crass, but the, the good side of that is that people actually take their, you know, their job seriously at the same time, even if they have other pursuits. And what that taught me, I guess, is, is to always look at, you know, my employees lives as, as a whole. Mm. You know, it's like, I don't care if you actually, I mean, if you want to do this for the rest of your life, this is what you want to do when you grow up. Mm -hmm. And that's always, uh, one of my questions when I interview new employees, what do you want to do when you grow up? (laughs) Um, it doesn't have to be this. Yeah. That is not a prerequisite. Uh, but I want you to have passion in your life Mm -hmm. and I want to help you. In your life. If you really want to be a poet, you work at my bar, we're going to help you in your poetry yeah. career somehow. You know, maybe uh, with like writing the menu or something like along that line, or I don't know, maybe that's not what you're but, going over, but <laughs> yeah, maybe, but like it, it's the little things. It's, it's like how when you, when you employ people, when you spend this amount of time with people, it's about like supporting their emotional and, and, personal growth yeah you know um it's not really about like just teaching them new cocktail recipes yeah so did you know that about yourself when you were going up you know climbing up the the rungs of the ladder did you know that it was about your emotional and personal growth like did you recognize that at the time no absolutely not were you doing anything intentional to kind of get to the next level to learn the next lesson to become a person of value yes i mean i mean once i realized that i wanted to do this for the rest of my life um, you know, I did the steps. I did the, you know, sommelier training. I went and worked in France at a winery. I traveled a lot, okay. different bars and all of those sorts of things. Um, you know, I, 
I did the stuff that you're supposed to do to like succeed in this industry. Yeah. However, what I learned is is that it's not just about those things. It's really about like being I mean, okay, I'm going to take it back. But <laughs> uh, we get so obsessed with specs. We get so obsessed with like, you know, like the debates that go on on Facebook mm. about like what it is to be in this industry. Like we get so obsessed with like, you know, like, Oh, you know, is it about like, is it about technical excellence or is it about hospitality? <laughs> you know, all those sorts of things. And I kind of feel like it's not about any of those things. I think it's about like kind of actualizing yourself as a person in this, mm. you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I feel like I, I focus more on like, you know, how can we be better people in the place that we are, in the roles yes. that we are enacting? Man, I love it. I mean, I, I look at myself as like not, I mean, okay, I'm guilty as anybody of like, you know, like separating myself from people that are not in the industry and calling them, you know, civilians and all of that sort of thing. But at the <laughs> same time, I consider myself a citizen. And I know that I interact with people more than most people do. Mm -hmm. And I see that as a responsibility to like, you know, play a civil role. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's so many things I don't even know where to start. Uh, I love what you just shared with us. Let me, I guess, start by saying that. And also, um, so you said that it, it was around that time you had the cheese moment with this person where you changed their day by experiencing this cheese moment. And I don't know what else to call it, but the cheese moment. But was that when you, you started, how do I best word this? So I've noticed that most of the successful people, they, they realize their passion or they, they realize they, they, they love it, but they, they get tons of experience working in different places to really find out where their love is and what specifically it is about the industry that they love. Were you searching for something when you were going to different places or were you trying to really hone in on your niche or like, what was, was there any intention about the, the places you were working that, or like hindsight being 2020, were any of those places you're working up a, a big uh, step in the right direction to where you are now? Like, did it, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I look back and um, the place that I was working at, um, you know, when I had the cheese moment, uh, was a great, you know, <laughs> kind of like place to have the cheese moment. I yeah. was working at Frankie's 457 in Carroll Gardens in Brooklyn. And uh, the Franks were uh, in their way like great mentors because they were like chill dudes that were like trying to make the... Uh, the industry, their life dream. And, uh, it was a place where, you know, in its infancy, like was kind of like awesomely helter skelter, but like where we'd like sit down and talk about like, how can we do this better? Mm. How can we do this better? How can we do this better? Mm. How can, you know, always one thing at a time. It's like our coffee program's okay. How can we make it better? Well, I would watch my bosses at the time, like, you know, taste through every, you know, artisanal roaster in the country and then decide that Stumptown was the best one. 
and help find them a place to roast in New York City mm. to bring them wow. to the East Coast. And that was inspirational, that, for sure. That's amazing. Um, I think, I, I kind of feel like, you know, like, I was born in 1978, so I'm on this generational divide between, like, Generation X and the rest, right? Yeah. But also in the industry, I also kind of think, like, I was also on that divide. Nowadays, you see people that are, like, you know, saw like, bartenders in particular, you see them, like, be like, oh, man, it's cool to be a bartender and all that sort of thing. You know, like, you've got the the really cool, like, outfits and, you know, <laughs> tattoos and all that shit. Um, you know, they, they actually see it as, like, an awesome thing to do. Nobody of my age thought that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we just, like, ended up doing it. It was fine, but it was like you didn't see it as a career. Mm. Um, I feel like, um, you know, I got into it at a, at a time when we didn't really have the mentors to teach us that. And, and now I, I feel it's like our responsibility, yeah. people of my generation to like, be like, all right, guys, like it is, it is a career, <laughs> but here's what we need to do yeah. to like make it sustainable. But you said you were lucky to have people who did recognize that it was a career in your life, right? The people yeah. you work for. Cool. So, I mean, yeah, uh, just tons of value there. Um, I mean, we could go into it deeper, but I want to kind of continue down uh, the path of your career to the time you were spending in California uh, because it was around this time where you opened your first location, correct me if I'm wrong, with somebody else, or was that more just consulting for somebody opening a location? Well, so when I moved to California, it was, I was actually, so the real story is I was in New York, I was working. You know, I, I, I knew that this was my career, but I didn't really know my path. Okay. Um, I was bartending. I was mostly on the bar side, but I had studied wine. I left in 2008 uh, to go to France to work at Chateau Margaux for a little while. Um, then traveled around France and Italy for a little while. Came back to New York, and the financial markets had crashed. Um, so that was awesome. Uh <laughs> I was like, I, I had quit my jobs and uh, I was waiting in line with like, you know, like guys from like Goldman Sachs to get bartender jobs. Yeah. Like open calls around New York City Avenue blocks to interview for bartender jobs. And I was like, this is terrible. Like I, I at the time, uh, me and the girl I was dating uh, had you know, plans to open a place in upstate New York. Okay. Uh, we were like, this is not the time to open anything. Yeah. So what are we going to do? It sucks in New York. I had been there for, again, at that time, like 10 years, she was from there. We were like, let's just get out of here. Um, so we decided to move West just to like, see what's, see what's up. Okay. You know, like spend some time, like on the West coast. I had always been like inspired by like, you know, that sort of like Bay Area Absolutely. style. Yeah. Um, so we moved to Napa Valley, um, intending to stay there for like a year. Uh, I got kind of like tied up with with my job there and ended up staying for five years. Um, what were you doing out there? Well, I when I first moved there, I uh, I worked at this Michelin star restaurant called Soul Bar. Okay. In Calistoga, um, there. When I started there, I was serving, uh, which was awesome. 
I was like so psyched. <laughs> I, was, I, I was just serving, not managing. I had been managing for a while in New York. And so I was working these like six to eight hour shifts. <laughs> Nobody could call me for anything. I was like walking with bank. And I, was, like, I was so psyched. I was living the good life. I was in California. I'd go camping on my days off. I'd go swimming before nice. I went to work. I was like so psyched. And they kept asking me like, hey, like, our bar, bar program's, like, not great right now. You used to do this, right? No. <laughs> do you want to, like, you know, maybe kind of be bar manager and be like, fuck no. <laughs> At the time, I thought I was just going to be there for like yeah. a year. So it was like, I was just like, it was supposed to be like a gap period, yep. right? And uh, I was like, fuck no, man. Like, like I have no responsibility. I'm living the good <laughs> life. I, like, I forgot what this was life. Yeah. Like, you know? And they asked me four times before I said yes. Um, <laughs> and then my life turned into what it usually is, uh, where, you know, all of a sudden I was always on call. Yeah. Uh, but it was cool, man. Like, like, you know, my time in New York, like was inspirational, but like, I don't think I really like kind of found myself until I was in California because in New York, like, again, I was working in restaurants. I was learning from people. I was doing these things, but it was like mostly like, you know, like, let's make some solid classics, that sort yeah. of thing. Like, learning learning the ropes. Um, in California, it's when I started to be like, okay, I need to bring my game. Like, because I was working in this restaurant that, like, the, the kitchen was doing amazing food. And I needed to elevate the program yeah. to match what they were doing. Okay. Um, also, really awesome people in the kitchen. And we quickly became friends. Um you know, working in the back, like sharing knowledge, sharing like technique, okay. that sort of thing. Um, and so at this point, when you're reflecting back on that time, um, had you taken the job as manager? Are you beyond that point? You accepted the role as manager, right? Yeah. So I'm curious, the fourth time they asked you, what made you say yes? Because I can't not <laughs> I have, I dive into that. What do you mean? Well, I mean, it, you know, we call it the, like the martyr syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like you're like, there's an impulse to excellence mm-hmm. in in the best people in this industry. Uh, and this is something that, you know, like, I think that there's... The people that really do well in this world uh, have that. Mm-hmm. It's... it's And it's good. I mean, like, you know, in my career and in, in, in friends of mine, my career, mine's careers, um, you're driven by something internal. Uh, a desire to be better, mm-hmm. a need to be better, okay. a need to be the best you can be. Every day you wake up and you're like, it's not good enough. Yeah. We're going to make it better. Um, it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> but it's what makes you good. Okay. You know, like that's one side yep. of, of like, I, I think the, like the, the success. Um, and that's fine when you're young. Yep. Um, as you get older, I feel like you need to like balance that with with an acceptance of like things as they are. Yeah, and also it, this is a maturity thing or a wholeness thing. Uh, you also need to realize that you are driven by something inside of you, but really your entire life is about other people. Mm. 
Uh, yeah. And, and this is something I, I like try to teach. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, yes, always be challenging yourself. Always measure yourself by your own standards. And yet, connect with the people that that's for. Mm. Together, they make you a whole person. Yeah. Uh, but so, it's hard. So did you, did you finish your full thought? I don't want to cut you short because I was freaking like epic poetry that you're just spitting right there. I loved every second of it. Um, so was it, did you feel like in the service role, you, um, or the server role, you hit a ceiling and you weren't able to grow and be better, like to truly grow and be better. Did you need to be in that management role where you had a higher ceiling? And I mean, was that part of it or were you unable to really serve everybody at just the server level? Like I'm trying to pull all the pieces together. Sure. 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 Um, no, I mean, I, I was fine. I was on vacation. As okay. as I was <laughs> like, like being a server was great. Uh, at that point, I, and not that I hadn't been a server a lot of times, but after taking a break from management, being in California, like just not caring. And, uh, that was great. Um, but it's just like, okay. So you're walking through a restaurant and, uh, you know, one of the, like the Charlie Trotter things that you hear a lot is like, you have court vision, right? You see the whole court, right? You see the whole place. And a, a good person in this industry will be able to like see the lay of the land and see like seven things that need to be done. Mm -hmm. Right. You're not just like bringing a plate to the table. You're also picking up that napkin on the floor. You're also like hearing that (laughs) knife drop. You're also doing that, you know, you're seeing somebody like just kind of like with odd posture, which indicates that they need something. Mm -hmm. And so you anticipate those needs. Right. This is all standard stuff for the industry, right? But, like, you know, it's kind of like sometimes it's like an itch that you need to scratch. You know what I mean? That it could be in that one moment where you're picking the napkin up. Okay. It could be in the greater, the the larger picture. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I would be like, in that time, I was like, well... The bar program needs to be better. Yeah. Okay. I'm starting to see the full picture I now. Need to do yeah. It. Yep. So you you in order to take the bar and the restaurant in general to the place where you knew it could be, you needed to be in that role to enable it to to be that person that reacted to all the little details that you couldn't maybe take care of in your role as a server because you're too occupied with your tables. Um, or does that kind of make sense? Like you want to be in the place where you could teach other people how to recognize those things. So it was being taken care of. Like you wanted to bring everybody else up to that level. Well, I mean, it's just like, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I get back to the citizen thing, you know, like it's a citizen of a small and weird world. And it's just like, well, I can be of service. Yeah. And, and you, you just want to do it. Yeah. You know, like, it's just like, well, yeah. I have my job. I care way too much yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, and could I do better? Yeah. Could I do more? And you just do it for yeah. some weird, sick reason. I got you, man. What about the fact that you had aspirations of opening your own place, right, at this point? So would you really be doing yourself any justice in the server role when you could be developing and, you know, honing in on those management skills and... I mean, you might not be making enough or as much money, but 
you might have you know a crappier schedule, but you're developing those skills that you're going to really need when you do go out on your own. No, absolutely. I mean, like it, you know, and I, I'm painting this in a funny way because, like, again, when I moved to Napa, like I thought I was going to be there for like a year. Okay, I had plans to move to uh, Portland, Oregon. Yeah, after that. <laughs> um, and you know, I so I was just taking a break. Gotcha. You know I mean, um, and in the end, when I decided to like actually like, all right, I'm going to invest in this. It was the best thing I could have done for my career. Okay. You know, like, uh, I had, again, it was the right place, the right time. Cocktails in Napa Valley were, were, you know, okay, but it's a wine region. Okay. Uh, but it's freaking Northern California. Yeah. And there's so much awesome stuff going on, so much awesome produce, so much awesome everything. everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also a place where, like, you know, people come to Napa for, like, wine, but at the end of the day... They're like, anything but another glass of wine. <laughs> Just give me anything. And they expect a shitty, like, Cosmo. But, like, if you present them with something, like, kind of, like, well thought out. Yeah. Uh, that has the, you know, layers of flavor and consideration um, that, you know, you expect from a well-crafted wine or whatever. They, they respond. Okay. Uh, and it was great because, like, you know... What I was doing at the bar program at Soul Bar actually, like, got attention, um, you know, got press. Uh, people started, like, talking about it. Uh, we started, like, you know, in the community there, like, there were some people that were doing great stuff already. But, like, you know, like, it, it, it started to be, like, a galvanizing moment at that time okay. in the Valley. And now, you know, like, there's, there's lots of cocktails in Napa Valley. Uh, which is awesome. Mm. Like, cause it's a premier food and wine and drink destination. Yeah. And at the time, like, I, I don't think that the cocktail thing had really like fully formed okay. at that time. Uh, I ended up working later with, um, my buddy, Scott Beatty. Um, and this is at the goose and gander. Yeah. Okay. At the goose and gander. So Scott had been doing like, you know, he was like the quintessential Northern California cocktail guy. Okay. You know, he, his book, Artisanal Cocktails, like came out in, I think, 2009. Um, and it was all about the foraging, all about the local okay. produce, all about the like relationships with farmers. Okay. You know, um, and, you know, he was an inspiration for me, like, before I actually met him. Okay. Uh, then we met. And he was at the time he was. Uh, this is 2012. Let's put a timestamp to it. No, I mean we met before then. Okay. Um, so Scott came up and um, he really kind of like made his name working at Cyrus, okay. which was an amazing and sadly no longer uh, an amazing restaurant in Healdsburg. Um, and when by the time I got out to California, he was running a bar called Spoon Bar. Okay. Uh, and you know, he, he would like host cocktail competitions, which I would go to and, you know, compete in. And we always were like, oh man, like we, we get along our sense of like flavors and balance are like very in line. Uh, we should do something together someday. You Mm -hmm. know, it was like all talk for a long time. Uh, but it was about 2012 when 
it was funny. I had I had left Soul Barn, uh, and it was actually in Portland uh, on my way to move there again. And Scott called me up, and he was like, "Hey, man, like I'm doing this new project, um, which was this iconic restaurant in in Napa Valley, the uh, Martini House, uh, which just like beautiful." beautiful space um had closed like 18 months before and uh somebody had acquired it a guy named andy florsheim and uh had hired scott to do the bar program um and scott called me up he's like man i'm doing this project it's amazing uh we should do it together and i'm like yeah i'm moving to portland <laughs> He's like, no, man, we should really do this. And I'm like, yeah, I know, it's, it's really awesome, but I'm moving to Portland. Yeah. He's like, no, we should do this together. And I'm like, I'll give you six months. <laughs> uh, I ended up working there for over two years. Okay. Um, but <laughs> that's nice. the way it goes. Okay. Um, and that was the goose and the gander. Yeah, the goose okay. and the gander. Cool. Um, so were you partner doing it we're like just working helping them get it going two years well no i mean like we did the bar program uh scott and i were co-bar managers okay um but you know what it was was like you know it was our time to like bring our actual vision of what a cocktail bar in wine country could be you know what i mean like we had had lists scott had done more of a cocktail focused thing in in the past i had been working in a restaurant environment okay uh it was a rest the goose and gator is a restaurant okay but it has like this base beautiful basement bar um almost you know kind of like de facto speakeasy ish you know uh although i hate that word (laughs) um but you know we had 40 drinks on the menu hand carved ice you know like our versions of anything we thought was like worth presenting classically as well as like more culinary style of things. Um, it really like kind of like broke things open in the valley okay. as far as like cocktails. I've got concerned. two questions I want to hit before we move on to like where we are now current time. Uh, first, um, we'll try to answer these quickly so we can make time for everything, but how did he sell you on it? I feel like that's one thing if we're trying to build our team. Like how did he sell you on it? And secondly, hindsight being 2020, are you happy you made the decision? Um, did it impact, you know, how you got to where you are now? So first, how did he sell you on it? Again, it's, it's one of those things. It's just like, there's a weakness (laughs) that is also your strength inside of you. If, you were really meant to do this, yeah. which is that you see things as things that should happen. You know, you don't, you don't say like, Oh, I have to do this or like, Oh, whatever. Somebody will do this. You're like, this has to happen. I'm here. I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's like, you know, he, he sold what he thought was, was the program. And he was like, you know, like, and, and like, you know, what do you think? And we were just jamming back and forth. I was like, well, we should do this. We should do that. We should do this. And you're like, I just have to make this happen. Yeah. It has to exist. I need to bring this into the world. So just including you, do you think that's what it was getting your opinion and getting you somewhat invested in the, the vision? 
No, I mean it's 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 more like I mean fully a, a collaboration, but like about like just I don't know. You're driven to make yeah. wonderful things. I love and, it and wonderful experiences. Uh, so for I think you you're very self propelled um, with just that desire to make it the best it can be, and when you kind of get somewhat emotionally connected to an idea or a vision, like and you can see what it can be, then that self propulsion kicks in, and you have to take it there. Uh, yeah. That's cool, man. Um, it's like it's so like you have this like classical like like uh, old Greek philosophy kind of thing about like the potential and the actual. Mm. Right, so the potential exists out mm. there. Right, it's this, this like theoretical vision. The drive to be your best in this industry is to make the potential mm. the actual. I love it. The other thing I noticed too is, uh, I think after the fourth time, people ask you to do something, you say yes. So if I'm ever in for a cocktail, I'll ask you for that drink three times for free, and uh, the fourth time I'll get it. Um, <laughs> the other thing I really just wanted to dive into and see if I can remember. What was the second question? Do you remember? Does anybody remember the second question? Um, crap, my memory is like a goldfish sometimes. Oh, uh, man. So you told us about how he got you. Hindsight being twenty twenty. Are you happy you stayed there for the two years? Did you gain anything out of that experience that you think has contributed to your success now? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, not only having, like, you know, developed some, like, systems and techniques together that were actually pretty unique at the time um, to run a 181-seat restaurant uh, with a 40-drink cocktail menu out of two wells, which was we had to work really hard okay. on that. Uh, also, like, you know, like being able to actually manage a team there, uh, like, in my own way. You know, like, I, our owner, Andy, was uh, really a wonderful person, is a really wonderful person, and gave a lot of, uh, you know, put out a lot of slack on the rope for how I would manage our team. Okay. Uh, and I learned a lot. I grew a lot in that. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I just have to put emphasis on this. Um, people who fail quickly in this industry, I've noticed are people who don't have much experience in the industry and they don't take the time to develop themselves as a professional. Like you had, you started in 1999. Uh, you were managing what time? 2004, five. I, Yeah. So, I mean, you got 10 years with a few breaks in between of solid management, restaurant management, um, helping start restaurants, visioning, like all that is so valuable and it compounds and you network, you find all these incredible people that you can lean on and ask for advice. And I mean, all those things matter. Um, So, which brings you to 2015, I believe, or 14 when you opened the Wallingford Tram drum. It was 15. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the way that happened was um, it was time for me to move on from the Goose and Gander. And um, at the time, I was doing a lot of consulting, uh, and I was also doing uh, sort of cocktail catering. Uh, and it's the Bay Area, and I had some really good clients, and I was, you know, tech and all that. Um, and I was actually considering at the time just going full-time consulting and cocktail catering. Um, had like formed a partnership with a, you know, like a 
an event company and that sort of thing. I was like, all right, this could be my life. Like I get out of brick and mortar, um, which was appealing mm-hmm. and would have been very lucrative. Um, but it also would have meant that I um, would have spent probably seven to ten more years in the Bay Area. Not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I have been so focused on work for so long that I felt like it was time for me to like find some balance. And this is really a family thing. So my family lives out here. Yeah. And I was at the time seeing them maybe once a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe once every two years. Yeah. And I realized I don't want that. Yeah. I, I want to be able to see the people that I love more often. Um, you can respect that. So I just kind of snapped, decided I'm moving to the East Coast. Okay. Did uh, you have this opportunity waiting for you or is it, did you know no, about it? So, okay. Not at the time. At, at first I, I just like decided, well, I mean, great thing about this industry. It's super portable. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you can go anywhere where there's restaurants and bars and like get a job, you know, like it's fine. Um, so I just decided I'm moving back. I didn't know what I was going to do. Okay. Uh, I was thinking maybe like Portland, Maine, uh, maybe <laughs> Boston, uh, you know, worst come, come, came to worst. I could have like gotten a job in New York pretty easy again until I figured it out. It, it would have at least been closer yep. to where we are right now in Kittery, Maine. Uh, my parents live like 30 minutes away. Okay. Grandmother as well. Cousins and all that. Um, but... I didn't exactly know. Okay. So how did you find this opportunity? So I was, uh, so I'm co-owner of the Wallingford Dram. Okay. As well as uh, Anju Noodle Bar. Okay. Next door. And uh, Anju Noodle Bar was opened by my business partner, Julian. Okay. Um, before I actually moved back. Um, so Julian was like a friend from way back. Okay. Uh, his older brother, Kaleem, and I were, like, best friends. Gotcha. Uh, and so I, you know, knew him. And so he opened Anju in May of whatever year. Um, I came I came through in July Okay. Uh, after that. And um, I was just like, hey, man, like, I'm checking out the restaurant. Yeah. Congratulations. Good job, man. Blah, blah, blah. He was like, oh, yeah, cool. So you're moving back? And I'm like, ah, <laughs> The wheels are already Boston, turning in his head. <laughs> you know, whatever. And uh, he was like, well, let me show you something. So he, he walked me over. Anju's right next door to the bar where we are right now. Yeah. He walked me over to this space, which at the time was just a, like a white box. And uh, he was like, so we've been sitting on this space for a few months, just holding it. He's like, I'd like to open like a wine bar, a wine store, or a cocktail bar here. And cocktail bar, if we could find somebody who kind of knew how to do that, hint, hint, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's like, you know, and additionally, like we could, you know, use some help in the restaurant with somebody that, you know, had some experience in other places. Um, he's like do you want to come on as a partner in the restaurant and then open a bar together? I was like, let me think about it. Um, and then eventually was like, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I, you know, when you move away from 
kind of a smaller area when you're a kid, uh, as I did. You know, like, I got out, you know, and I went and did awesome things. You kind of, like, have this thing in inside of you where you're like, I, I can't move back. Yeah. This is not an industry thing. It's just, like, a normal person thing, you know? Like, I can never move back home, even though throughout my entire life I've always come back and been, been like, wow, isn't it awesome where I'm from? Yeah. Um, it's such a great place to go home to. You know, it's beautiful here. You know, like the people are great. Like, you know. Yeah. You know, one thing I, I love to say is home isn't a place. It's a, it's people. Yeah. Uh, it's not a, it's not a destination. It's, it's who, you know? Yeah. I feel like you're uh, the same way. Like you just value that human connectivity so much. Sorry, I interrupted you, but. Yeah. Well, I mean that, and that's a point. I mean, it's like what we do is not stuff. It's people, mm. you know? Um, like drinks, yeah, food, absolutely. It's great, but what we do is people. Mm. Um, so one thing, do you have a thought that you really want to get out? Well, I mean, I, just to be like to finish that. Yes, is that you know it? It was kind of happenstance that I moved back right here. You know, um, but it's the best decision that I've probably made in my entire life. Um, I never thought it would happen, but like now I get to work and be part of a community that, okay, I've made a lot of, I've, you know, created a lot of programs in different places that were dear to the people, uh, that lived in those Mm -hmm. communities. But this community is fully my own. Yes. I have roots here and, you know, and what's great about Kittery actually you know, a lot of people probably don't know what Kittery, Maine is, but it's this wonderful little community of people like creating things that they're passionate about, mm-hmm. especially in the restaurant industry, um, that are that like really feel part of it. Yeah, like we're bringing things that we've learned from other places or seen other places. We're bringing them home. Mm. You know, there's a plaque on the wall over there, but I should have two because both of my grandfathers worked at the navy yard that's in this town okay uh this is like was a navy town right uh both of my grandfathers were in world war ii they were in the navy and then they worked at the naval shipyard here and uh until they retired and uh that's like kind of like this weird thing it's like at, at the time there was like nothing cool in kittery until like maybe you know, four years ago, five years ago or something like that. Uh, but now we're bringing these things here that like, you know, people that live in town and have lived other places and have friends from other places can be like, Oh, Oh, my friend from London's visiting. Let's bring them to our awesome cocktail bar that's in town. It's like, Hey, (laughs) we're a town of 9,000 people, but we've got this awesome cocktail. Yeah. And this awesome restaurant. And this awesome restaurant. It's freaking great. It is pretty awesome. It's a good spot. And I love that you're going down this road of just how uh, near and dear this community is to you and how you were able to create other things that were important to other people. But this is an extension of you. And you're quoted as saying, uh, you know, when somebody asks you, like, how did you, you know, the space is, it's so intimate, it's small, it's gorgeous. Like, how did you design it? And you were, you said, do you. Um, do you want to just explain on why that's so important to create uh, a space that's an extension of who you are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously there's parameters there, like on a technical level, you know, like you, 
you know, you have to be smart about things. Mm-hmm. Like, don't just do you. Yeah. Like, do what makes sense mm-hmm. and all of that sort of thing. But at the same time, it's like, if you're going to be an owner, if you're going to be working in a place, you need to, like, like just allow yourself to don't do what's cool. I mean, we all steal from each other. We yeah. like we borrow things from other bars, Ideas, and restaurants, yeah. and that, that sort of thing. That's totally great. Yeah, uh, but don't do things just because you think they should be like what you think is cool. Do what you love. Mm. You know what I mean? Like just you know, like feel it. So some people would advise against that. They say you should do what works. You should do what your people love. Your your uh, target market. So why do you think that's worked in this circumstance? Is it what makes it what makes doing you and what you love work? Well, again, it's both. I mean, like you, there's things that you might want to do that you think are hilarious or something like that, but like are not going to work. Okay, you have to like have some reason. You have yep. to have some parameters. You know what I mean? Because again, it's not really about you. Yep. Um, but making it not about you is also about being honest with yourself about who you are and what you have to offer Mm -hmm. you know like you 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 have to like if you have a passion people will respond to that yeah you know um and you owe them the the other people the guests you owe the guest uh that truth with yourself yeah i mean i think it's safe to say too that uh in a way you kind of are your target audience um and you happen to be from here so you're doing you and there's more other people like you here in the sense that they grew up here. They went someplace else, New York, San Francisco, England, wherever they got really cool experiences with what food and cocktail and drink can be. Mm-hmm. They came back and they found it at home on your just over the bridge from Portsmouth, a very young, eclectic, um, cultured, uh, you know, educated community there. Um, so, it just so happens that you does really well here. That's partially true. Uh, there's definitely a lot of that. And, and I, you know, I personally have a, uh, you know, like an emotional connection mm-hmm. to that kind of uh, response where people are like, thank God that we have this now because we missed yeah. it since we moved from Brooklyn, all that sort of thing. Uh, and that's great. Um, but there's more, you know, yeah. you, you can't just be that. Um, or you could try to just be that, but I don't want to just be that. Mm-hmm. You know, we open the walling for drama. We, it's a cocktail bar. It's a fancy little cocktail bar, but like from the start, you know, we, we were committed to making it inclusive, you know, like certainly the, there were good drinks around here, but the level of what we were doing was a little bit different. It was a little new. Um, definitely serving a niche for sure. Yes, yeah. But it was new to a lot of people yep. in the area as well. A lot of the people that are regulars now were not people that were going to fancy cocktail yeah. bars, you know? And those people are dear to me as well, you know? Like, another uh, another one of our mottos here uh, is we take our shit seriously so you don't have to. Like, we don't, we don't want it to be too dear and precious. Yeah. Like, we want it to be just fun yeah just good yep you know like we don't if you come in here and you don't normally if you don't know what a corpse survivor number two is you're not gonna feel weird here <laughs> we're good like if you don't want to know what it is you're never gonna have yeah. to hear about it 
But also, if you do want to learn, we're going to like yeah. take you down that road. You know, like we try to just be a bar. Yeah, which is also just a very magical place to be, by the way. If you're someplace who's not very, or somebody who's not very familiar with what a restaurant's doing, and you can have somebody uh, come into your restaurant and then educate them and teach them something new, like that, that's, there's so much value in helping people grow and learn new things. Like they tie those memories, that those new lessons with the restaurant, and you can convert people into loyal guests that way very easily. Um, so there is a lot of value in being something new. And it, once you get them in, if you can teach them something, and it's a good experience. It's a really good way to imprint on people. Um, it is, but you know, like one of my sort of pillars of training for employees is that the guest sets the tone yeah. and then you drive the bus. Yeah. So like, it's really on us. Like we decide in a weird way what people are actually going to have. Yeah and what kind of experience we're going to create for them. Yep. But if they set the tone uh, in a way where it, it, we, you need to be sensitive to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, sometimes people are on a Tinder date. <laughs> you know, they want to be left alone yeah. for the most part and maybe, like, mutually flattered. And it's not about the cocktails. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> um, sometimes people are just like, you know, they're seeing an old friend and they just want a couple of lager beans. Yeah. Let them have the lagabias. And just don't try to talk to them about your fancy hand-carved dice. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? The emotional like, intelligence, just read, reading the situation. Exactly. And so, like, again, it's about the people. It's not about the stuff. Yeah. You know? Awesome. Like, the stuff is easy to teach. Yeah. The people are the work. Okay. A couple of questions that really stood out to me uh, that I want to make sure we cover is this is a very small, intimate Location or how many seats total? I meant to count before we start. 27. 27 seats. Um, and you're also somebody who happens, I mean, I think part of what makes you you is that intimacy. Um, I love to say it behind every great restaurant is a great person um, who cares and makes it about other people. And that's clearly something we've discovered with you up to this point. So what is the benefit of starting small and really having that impact, your presence uh, affect the people you touch every day? I mean, it's, it is wonderful. I mean, this is the smallest place that I've ever worked in. Um, it is uh, awesome to be able to actually touch every table, every guest, talk to everybody. Um, How many employees do you have? Uh, at the moment, I have three other bartenders. Um, and three bar bags. Okay, so six total, seven including yourself. Yeah, and you know it's it's we also in in the restaurant we have a lot more and mm -hmm. all that sort of thing. But you know it's it's a small staff. Mm -hmm. Um, I you know when we first opened it was just me and one other bartender. How was that beneficial in any way? Um, yes, in 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 some ways. Um because we created a very intimate connection with our guests. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we first opened this bar, I mean, we did it in a funny way. Again, I hate speakeasy stuff, mm -hmm. but we kind of like, we, we don't have a sign. We have a giant metal crab on the, side <laughs> of the building. That's as close as we have to a sign, um, which is part of our logo. The crab is our spirit animal. Um, <laughs> But uh, when we first opened, we didn't really tell anybody. We dodged press. We got a little press, like, by accident, mm -hmm. you know. 
And we just kind of like built the bar and then opened the doors one day because we wanted this to be a place that was like very locally focused and we wanted people to find it and tell their friends. That yeah. was our whole marketing plan. Um, and it, it was great. It was, no. ex- <laughs> it wasn't going to be hard to fill the space. Also, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like we need, yeah. like, you know, we don't need the line out. Yeah. Um, but you know, like that was great. Um, at the same time, like running a small place has its own challenges. Yep. You know, like, you know, you have to do all the same stuff as a big place, you know, just with less people. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's actually in a weird way more work than I've actually done in other places where I had more staff to delegate yeah. things to. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is um, when you start small, um, you're not going to be diluted as much. Right. So if you can... Um, manage two or three relationships and get by on those relationships, you're going to have a really solid impact on those people you're developing and you're going to be able to duplicate yourself in them much easier. Say if you had 20 or 25 other people you're trying to imprint on all those other people. Um, so when you can have that impact and you can teach the people how to think and why you do things a certain way, um, it's much easier than then have them impact what you've imparted onto them onto other people. Um, so what I guess the point I'm trying to make is it, when you start small, it's way easier to bring the, whatever your essence is or and put that onto others and kind of spread the, the, the mission, the vision of what you're trying to do. Um, also, the technical things that you, that you need to know how to do. Uh, but then you, you bring in other people like Chris, for example, who then bring something completely new to the table. Now they get that sense of ownership. Do you want to talk about how Chris has helped in the past year or two or? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, I, you're right. You know, like, so starting small was also intentional. Yeah. Like, so with, with the restaurant and the bar, part of our, like, grand plan. Yeah. Was, our grand plan was not just to open little tiny businesses. Like, and that's it. Uh, it was to, like, create things that we thought were really important mm. and uh, impactful. And then to create a brand presence and bring things to the area that were not necessarily here. I got something good. Finish your thought. Sorry. (laughs) With the ultimate goal of um, creating other things. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Like, we're opening another restaurant this year. Yeah. In Portsmouth. I'm excited for that. Larger. Um, But, you know, it's also from the side that you're going from is the staff side. Yeah. Which is very important. You you know, this does give you the opportunity to kind of lay down or, or create a culture. You know, um, that is very much intimate and an extension of yourself. And that's your foundation. Uh, And then and, you know, again, I've never worked in a place this small, but you always do that. Mm -hmm. And then you have to be open to the if you're going to succeed and not go crazy, you have to be open to the idea that, yes, you lay down a certain foundation, but then you welcome the additions Mm -hmm. uh, of other people's mindsets, you know, like not just delegation, but actual contribution, Mm. you know, and sometimes because I mean, really, it's like you can be a genius, but you still are a fool to not welcome other people's ideas. Exactly. I mean, like you can be like the mastermind behind everything. I don't plan. I don't pretend to be the mastermind. I have some ideas that I've I've put into place and they work. Yeah. But then you're you have to be open to the idea that 
you're going to bring other people into your world. Yeah. And you should use all of their ideas. Absolutely. To make things better. Yeah. I mean, it's like Napoleon Hill, uh, Think and Grow Rich. He talks about three types of knowledge. You have compounded knowledge, which is the knowledge you learn from other people that pass it on to you. Then there's data, which is you go out and you find knowledge by looking at trends. And then there's the, um, basically like, uh, the, what do they call it? Uh, the ether, I think is what he calls it, where it's basically infinite intelligence, which is your imagination, which is tapping into other people, letting them offer their opinions, their perspectives. And that's literally like if you have four or five people working for you, that's that's my brain times five of possibilities to solve this problem. Why wouldn't you 10x or 5x your brain power with that? you know, that, that level of like just putting all that energy together. It's like, I don't Absolutely. know why people feel like they need to control every situation. Well, it doesn't come naturally because I, you know, like especially in this industry where like, all right, some people have the career. I did not have the career where I went through all the super corporate yeah. places where they had things dialed down from the start, yeah. supposedly. But even in that place, it's, it's the same thing, really. You walk into work and you like have like 15 things that you think you need to do today. But you're confronted with 15 new problems before you get started. Yeah. Um, you know, it's chaotic. It's weird. It's in flux all the time. Um, like the idea that you're going to control that to succeed, you need to kind of be a control freak. Mm-hmm. You need to be aggressive. Yeah. You need to be like on it all the time. You need to be the person that's going to make calls. You mm-hmm. need to, especially once you get to a certain <laughs> le- level, you need to see something broken, realize that you don't know how to fix it, and fix it anyway. <laughs> so there is a control yeah. aspect that, that is part of it, but you, you have to be flexible with that, and you can't just be that. Yeah. And it's a hard lesson to learn. Yep. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's a hard thing to be like, to take that ego that's essential to to your function in the operation and allow it to be mixed yeah. with other things. Yeah. Um, I almost interrupted you earlier when I started to, then I realized I was being really rude. Um, but you said two things that I think we just need to bring up and then we'll ask a failure. Then we'll move into the speed round. Cause I just looked for the clock. We've been over an hour and 10 minutes now, but this is great. I'm loving it. Um, you said it, it's being, important and impactful so what is being important and impactful what does that mean to you in terms of what the business is yeah or in terms like of- you said it's about being important and impactful right. so what what does being important and being impactful mean to you well i mean for me i mean it can mean a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's the, it's, it's about to whom, mm. you know what I mean? Not, not essential. You know what I mean? There's this weird disease in, <laughs> especially the bar world and also the restaurant world, uh, this disease of lists. And it's cool. If you're on any of those world's best lists, super happy for you. Uh, I am, you know, it's great. Um, but like being important and impactful is not about those things. And I don't think any of the people that are on those lists got there by thinking it was. Mm-hmm. It being important and impactful means that you're the, let's start with your employees. They're the most important people. Mm-hmm. You're there for them. You're helping them grow. You know, uh, you're 
you're making their lives fun. Mm-hmm. We have another motto. If it's not fun, it's not worth doing. <laughs> there are rare exceptions to that. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, these people are here 12 hours a day. It's your job to, like, entertain them. Yeah. To, like, make everything great for them. Yeah. Because they're going to make your guests happy. Gotcha. You know? Um, your guests, like, you know, it's important for them to have great product. It's also important for them to go to a place that is, uh, you know, sustaining for them in their own life, you know, and inspiring for them in their own life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're touching people beyond the walls of your bar yep. or restaurant. You're touching their entire lives. Mm-hmm. You know, you have those quintessential moments of engagements at your bars and things like that. You're there, you know, there are people that have like decided to get married based on the experience that they <laughs> had at table two. Wow. You know, and not that they wouldn't have anyway, but you were a part of that. Yeah. And you need to know that. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, it's not a boastful or prideful thing. Yeah. It's just, this is what you do for a living. Yep. You facilitate life. Uh, man, I love it. Uh, just want to, like, put a period at the end of that and say that I feel like a lot of people get in trouble when they think that great and impactful is big and sh- shiny or whatever. And they go out of the gates trying to create big shiny things that they think are going to make an impression on people. But what you just shared with us about making an impact with people and making it intimate and making it about caring. Um, that's, that's impactful. That's important. Um, and you can't lose sight of that because big will come over time. If you want it to, I think you're a perfect example of that. You focus on being impactful, making it about the people. And now you have your opportunity uh, to go over the bridge and open a second location. So growth will come. If you focus on going deep and impactful and making a difference in people's lives is the lesson I want to take for like, we could probably go further on this. I feel like both of I, you and I would love to talk further about this, but uh, I got to get a failure from you. Uh, And then we're going to move into the speed round. So tell me about a time, Mike, you fell on your ass with a mistake real quick and what you learned from that. Um, Well, I mean, I'm not, (laughs) here's a real thing. We fail all the time. Like, we, we, you have to embrace failures. Yeah. I mean, I fail at least once a day. Um, I'm not going to pretend I don't mm-hmm. on a, some small level. Um, but that's wonderful. That's great. But I'll, I'll share, like, one story over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, this past summer. Uh, Mike, can you just move closer to the mic? I'm afraid the... Sorry. Yeah, no, you could. I yeah. want to make sure we get it. Yeah. Um... So, you know, in the first year of the bar, we were, we were super short-staffed. I overworked myself, for sure. Uh, over the course of the summer, I had this one week. It was the worst week of my life. Um, I contracted Lyme disease, Ooh. which sucked. I was up for five days without sleeping, and I had a 104-degree fever um, working the entire time. <laughs> Uh, I had one of my original employee left, and so I had a trainee staff, and I had like a super huge like wedding event that I had to do over the weekend yep. as well. And I remember being like, "I'm broken. 
I like at this point I am collapsed. I am I am not myself. Uh, nothing is perfect that I'm doing right now. I'm getting through, but I can't do it alone anymore. Uh, it wasn't a failure actually. Everything went off. I, it, it wasn't great for me. Um, I, don't worry about the Lyme disease, guys. I caught it early. Good. Cured. But when you, when, you know, let's just say I was, I snapped. Yeah. You know what I mean? I snapped in half, couldn't do what I should have been able to do. Um, but it wasn't a failure because I had amazing people around me mm-hmm. that did things like say, hey, go to the office and lay down for 20 minutes. We got the boat, mm. which is what we say when gotcha. we call the bar the boat. Uh, we got the boat. We got you. If we need you, we'll tell you. Yep. But you know what? You need to chill out. Yeah. Awesome. And, um, yeah. I don't know. It was cool. One week in July. <laughs> How would you say you're better now because of that? Uh, because I realized that, you know, I mean, it's hard when, I think it's hard for owners and managers to, um, to negotiate that, um, I mean, you're supposed to be the best you in front of your employees and you should be, and you should be an example, but especially in a small business and, you know, in a human industry, there are times when you're not your best you and, the lucky people get to show their weaknesses in front of their employees. Not everybody gets to do this. Yeah. But the lucky ones get to show their weaknesses once in a while and still be supported. Yeah. Because we're all in this together. Yep. It's the essence of being a team rather than just a job. I love it, man. This is awesome. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back with the speed round. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn that never ends. (laughs) But what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy-to-access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month, and as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the tipsy banner in the show notes. After studying over 300 successful restaurant professionals, I've discovered that to be successful in the restaurant industry, you need skills that go far beyond knowing how to cook. All of our guest mentors are damn near experts on business operations, systems, and culture. That is not a coincidence. That is what it takes to be successful. 
This is exactly why I tell everyone I know who wants to open a restaurant or is in the restaurant business to get a membership to restaurantowner.com. For only $29 a month, you have access to over 300 templates, including business plans, checklists, forms, manuals, and procedures. In addition, you have countless resources at your fingertips to join a community that has helped over 40,000 restaurant owners make better lives for themselves. Head over to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurants unstoppable listeners you will get the first 10 days for only one dollar again that's restaurantsowner.com slash unstoppable all right we're back and the first question i have for you mike is what is your it factor a habit of traits a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success uh, the fact that I believe that the best defense is none. Oh, I gotta ask. Just explain that real quick for us. Like, go a little deeper. Open yourself up, man. Yep. Like, just be you. Like, don't worry about it. Don't don't be defensive. Don't be like guarded with people. Like, be you. Be weird. Get into it. Be honest. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be fine. Awesome. I love it. What is your biggest weakness? The same thing. Uh, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others again honesty uh genuineness and also i think um don't think only about um you know what you want to get out of people think about what people want to get out of life yes you know, like it, it can be as simple as like doing the schedule. Like at my current bar, the schedule is easy because we have like very little, empl- very few employees. But in, in, in times past, my, my most prideful moment of the week has been like doing a large bar schedule and being like, how can I make these people's lives better without asking them? Yeah. I know that their mom's birthday is on Sunday. They didn't ask for that day off. <laughs> they got that day off. Man, it's so powerful just to give an F about people. And when you care, it can have such longing, just longevity and like why they stay with you and what they're going to bring to work every day because you just took the time to care. It's so powerful. Fucking pay attention. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's important. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, I mean, people, there's a, there's a culture of crass in this industry and and we all have that edge and you have to have that edge Mm -hmm. it's like you know what if you're not gonna bring it go fuck yourself (laughs) however when you take the time to like you know again care pay attention and and like just try to make people's lives better Mm. i mean it's 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 a little thing again it's like a little thing it's like henry miller's like oranges and and the garden of Ronan Spash or whatever, like, has this. Has you read that book? No. Nope. <laughs> Sorry. The only Henry Miller book with no sex. Uh, <laughs> but he has this one thing in there about, like, you want to make the world a better place, start at your garden gate. Mm. And I think that as a restaurant owner or just as an employee, whatever you're doing, like, our world, you know, what we do is not a big deal. It's food and drinks, man. Who cares? Yeah. But if you can, like, put yourself into it 
and like make the people that you interact with make their lives a little bit better, you're doing something for the world. Mm. And that's important. And I think if everybody thought that way, I mean, hey. Killing it, man. I love this. Uh, What is one question you ask for or thing you look for during an interview? It's that... It's that Danny Meyer kind of thing, like the 4951. You know? okay. I don't give a fuck if you know how to make any particular drink. But if you give a fuck, <laughs> that's what I care about. Yeah. If you care about people, you know, um, if you just have that sort of it factor of hospitality, yep. you know, like that, that ability to, like, without any technique without any knowledge without any idea what's on the menu if you could make somebody feel at home you're there got it man i love it and what is a current challenge you're dealing with right now current challenge um well you know opening a new restaurant (laughs) is is always fun yeah uh and I'd say like right now, like with that is, is finding more people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard to be in a small market, you know, where there is not an endless source of restaurant pro- professionals. No. Yep. Um, and you know, where you, you were kind of like, well, we need to, I need to find eight bartenders by September. Great. Where are they going to come from? Especially at the level of your, you know, standard, you know, you're going to bring it over there. I'm sure you are. As far as, yeah, but yeah, again, it's it's like finding a people that really want to like drink the Kool Aid. Yes. Um, how are you overcoming that? Slowly. <laughs> uh, what's a current challenge? Oh, wait, just ask that. What's one thing besides food your restaurant's doing well, and how does that separate you from other? In this I'm going to say drinks. What's thing besides drinks that you're doing well that separates you from others? Uh, and just kind of dive into that. Um, I don't think that people come to bars for drinks. I think that people come to bars for bartenders. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what we're doing right now is what we'll always try to do in the future is try to create personal connections with people. Uh, I'm terrible with names. Uh, some of my bartenders are really good with names. I'm terrible with names. But I'm great with remembering exactly what you drank the last time you came in exactly good for you what you were going in (laughs) what was going on in your life yeah i mean you can come into my bar once and come in a year later i will remember the drink that you i made you that's Uh, amazing and that's the kind of thing that we try to do wow we try to think about people's lives we try to like take that to heart uh we try to be a place where people want to come to talk you know um again it's not about the cheers thing where everybody knows your name, yeah. but where we're willing to be familiar with you, mm-hmm. you know, and that priceless makes a bar a bar. I love it, man. And, uh, what's one book that's a must read that will make us either better people or better restaurant owner. Uh, I, I besides Danny Meyer setting the table. Um, I think that's different for everyone. Uh, and this is something that I, I actually meant to touch on this um, in the interview before, and so it's good that this good. is coming up, uh, which is that 
you need to find inspiration outside of this industry mm-hmm. as well. You know, it, like whatever that is for you. Um, I think that a lot of us get so focused on like food and drinks and all of that sort of thing that we it's like getting too close to the page. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you're like re, you're not seeing the periphery. Mm-hmm. You know, again, we are citizens. We are not just food and beverage people. You know what I mean? Um, and so, you know, if poetry inspires you, go and spend time reading poetry. Forget all the cocktail books for a little while. Go do that. Go travel. Go do other things. Like, the thing is, it's like, it's so, not everybody in the industry is like this, but those of us that are, get super committed, there's a risk of overcommitment that makes us less human. Yeah. And we need to reclaim that as we move through our careers. So I'm not going to give you a book that I think everybody needs to <laughs> okay. read, but I'm going to say, go read the book that makes you. It might be Zen in the Art of Motorcycle <laughs> or something like that. It might be, you know, Harry Potter. I don't know. Yeah, but I go read that book. Yeah, absolutely. You know, read all the books. Mm-hmm. Read all the books about everything because, like, you know what? Drinks, food, they're kind of simple. People are not. Yep. And the knowledge is out there, and it's bigger than just drinks and food. I dig it, man. I dig it. So uh, with all the knowledge, sorry, I'm all over the place. <laughs> What's one question or, or, man, I'm killing it right now. What's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant that's had a huge impact on just efficiency, uh, communication, or, or just anything that's improved your, your operation? Well, aside from like, you know, the, I mean, we use a lot of uh, sort of molecular techniques here at the bar, although we never talk about it. Um, we're not rich enough to have a centrifuge or a rotovap, but we use a lot of like, you know, sous vide and and uh, pressure infusion stuff, which makes our life as a small bar really awesome. Um, but aside from those sorts of things, I'll say this: Evernote. Oh, I love Evernote. So we have all of our recipes, all of our specs, all of our sub recipes, all of our things on Evernote, so that. I don't hand, have to hand out a ton of paper to mm-hmm. people all the time. If anybody ever has a question about a spec or you know whatever, yeah. it's all there. I can update it instantly. Um, Search it easily if Search you need to find it. it. Yep. I recommend it to everybody. Stole that from Death and Company. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you can even scan documents too. So you can put exactly. everything um, that's important. You can do a digital backup and have it right there. If you need to pull up a W nine of one of your employees or whatever, yep. like type in the name, tag it. Like you can get everything at your fingertips on your phone. Like we do not leverage technology enough in this industry, which is why I asked the question. But yeah, uh, I mean, you know, just having like that reference for people is, yeah. is really important. Um, it, it helps in training. Mm-hmm. You know, it helps in. You know, just like we, we, we try to make sure that, you know, if somebody orders any classic drink, that it'll always be the same, yep. essentially. Uh, so we have our specs there for those. Yep. Uh, also, if we encourage our bartenders to freelance. Um, so the idea of having a place where people can, like, log uh, their drinks is also great. So Cool. Awesome. So with all the knowledge you have acquired... If you could go back in time, say, to 1999, and give your past version one piece of business advice, what would it be? 
I mean, there's an idealized version of this, and that would be take business courses yep. rather than just, you know, liberal arts courses. <laughs> uh, uh, and also take the year and learn to be a refrigeration and ice machine repair person <laughs> because that would make you the most invaluable employee ever. <laughs> if you could just fix fridges and ice machines, like you'd get hired all day wherever you want to be hired. Man, that would uh, be a good course if I ever start doing courses here. Have a refrigerator technician come on and teach that. It would. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a man. I mean, uh, much respect to my, my reefer guy. It's great, but he's $80 an hour, man. If I could do it myself, I'd do it myself. That's awesome. But, and learn to repair cold draft machines, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Um, But, you know, those would be great. And, you know, maybe in the future we'll get to the point where people will, um, you know, view the restaurant industry in that way and actually learn those skills. Yeah. You know, down the road, you're going to have to fix things that you don't know how to fix. And, you know, it would be great to have some ideas. Also, it is a business, and it would be great to have, like, a starter set of business skills rather yeah. than having to learn all that stuff on the fly. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's just, like, what's kind of beautiful about this is it's an industry mostly of people still to this day that, that were doing other things and just found it. And it brings this diversity and this resilience that is is. Not like other... Th- I don't know what it's like to do other things necessarily, yeah. but it's not like your most offices are filled with people that are just like, well, we just ended up here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's like you get... It's such a diversity of, of backgrounds, you know? And I don't know. It, it's magical. Awesome, man. I love it. And it- is there one question I could have asked you that you think would have brought more value to this interview? Or is there anything that you had hoped to touch on that we didn't get to talk about? I think, um, I think a big thing that we need to talk about more, um, in this industry. Well, there's a number of things. Yeah. Uh, I think that one thing that's like really important for people to talk about, um, for their own personas is, um, work life balance. Um, because that's a thing. You get into this industry, most people get into this industry, again, on their way to doing something else. And when you first do it, it's about, oh, it's a flexible schedule and I can do my like thing on the side or, you know, whatever. Or I'm in college or, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, and it's super great because you can work part-time or whatever. Uh, and then once you get into it and you get good at it, it consumes you mm. completely. Uh and a lot of one of the pillars of my career is trying to reverse that and try to at least for my employees give them more life back you know try to make things yeah more balanced for them you know what i mean it's a serious issue yeah it extends beyond just like being able to get time off to go to some like rock show yep it it actually you know we have a lot of substance abuse depression, all of those things in this industry, it's partially because of that martyr syndrome. You know what I mean? And that, that like place, that, that dark place that you get to when you overcommit. Yeah. Uh, that's a conversation that we need to have more in this industry. Also in this, we have to have more conversations about, you know, social justice in the industry as well. I live in a very white 
place yeah. right now. Uh, but we have to talk about diversity. Um, we have to talk about sexism in the industry more. Uh, all of that. Awesome. So those are questions that I if think that ever everybody come should back. be bringing up more often. Yeah. Um, if you could think of anybody who, who can contribute really well to any one of those topics, um, who you maybe look to for advice in those areas, let me know. I'd love to get them on the show. Uh, which brings me to my next question. <laughs> Somebody just poked their head in. They ran away afterwards. Um, Who's one person in this industry you admire and think would be a great guest mentor on the show like you've been today? That's how I connected with you. RJ called you out. Now it's your turn. Uh, you know, uh, sort of someone who I guess was one of my mentees and now is on her way to becoming a mentor in her own uh, right uh, is Gabrielle Saul. Okay. Who is opening her first actual partner restaurant nice. right now in Jacksonville, Florida. Really? I'm Interesting. I'm going to be in you. Jacksonville soon. Yeah. Uh, her restaurant's called Rue St. Mark. Uh, she's opening it with partners and her partner in life, Scott. Um, and she worked for me in Napa Valley. Uh, she was my assistant bar manager there. She moved back to Florida where she's from, and she is straight killing the Northern awesome. Florida game. And that was Gabrielle? Gabrielle Saul. Yeah. Look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And let the folks at home know how can we connect with you if you want to pick up the conversation, if we have any questions, or maybe we want to come work for you in your new location in Portsmouth. If it sounds like the team they want to join, how can they connect? Uh, you can always uh, connect through social media and Facebook, but uh, it's email is michael at thewallingford.com. Happy always to answer questions. Awesome. And this is episode 325. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 325. And I'll have links to everything that was mentioned as well as how to connect with Mike. And Mike, thank you so much, man. This has been a blast. A first time ever with the new equipment on site. Thank you for letting me take over your bar and to set all this stuff up. Uh, It's been a blast. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, man. <laughs> Cheers. All right. There it is. The first ever on-site episode of Restaurants Unstoppable. Let me, guy, let me know what you thought about that uh, and how the audio quality is coming in on your side. I, I mean, I, I'm assuming it's going to be awesome, way better than it was in the past since we have two professional mics now uh, right next to each other. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited just to get out there and start meeting these these restaurant owners face-to-face and just making a real connection. And on that topic of real connections, guys, what are the big takeaways for me today? And Jared, who's standing right beside me, we're just reflecting on this interview. And it's about making that impact and, and making real human connections. He says that it's about... Success is, is about importance. What do you say, Jared? Importance and impact? Impact and just be making it important. Well, what is important? What is an impact? He said it's about connecting with the people. It's about making a real connection with the people right there in front of you, not just your guests, but your employees and being there to serve them. Uh, that coupled with the whole idea of just being yourself. Uh, one thing I loved about Mike is that from the very beginning, he didn't put up a front. He was very transparent from 
when he mentioned that he got out of being a copywriter because he just wasn't very good at it. I mean, that right away, if somebody just confesses to not being good at something, I want to work with that guy because he's going to be honest with me for the rest of our time working together. I mean, the best defense is no defense. I love it. Uh, And it's so true that when you just live a a genuine life and you just do you and you're sincere and honest and straightforward and transparent, like people are, you're not going to have to worry about enemies. You're not going to have any enemies. Uh, It's just lots of great stuff in today's episode. And I mean, the only other thing that really stood out to me is the whole idea of, uh, you know what's great what's impactful uh it's those human relationships it's that human connectivity and you can be any size and have an impact on someone's life you don't need to come out of the gates with a 130 150 seat restaurant that does all these different things like just focus on making a difference on the few people your restaurant touches and if you can make a difference in those few lives over time you will create opportunities for yourself you will grow Be patient, make an impact, and in the long run, it will pay off. Awesome stuff today. Uh, Quick shout outs to Jolene, Elizabeth, and Linda for responding to my email that went out this weekend. Guys, if you sign up for the email list, you get to hear me talk about what I want to do with the show, what direction I want to take it. And you get to give me your feedback. Well, this past weekend, I mentioned that I'm going to be taking the podcast mobile. I want to go on the road. I want to hit some of the best restaurant cities in our nation. And, uh, I, I said, anybody out there, do you have a spare bedroom or a spot for a blow up mattress? Let me know. Uh, I want to come to your city. I want to spend a week to a month in your city and just light it up and just get these stories and have people sharing their advice uh the best restaurant tours in every city in the country so if you want me to come visit if you want me to come hang out in your city uh first help me connect with um some people that might be there and if you can put me up at least for the next year until i can start making some money with this thing uh that would be great too so so far uh Again, like I said, thank you to Linda in Charleston. Thank you to uh, Elizabeth in Austin, Texas. And thank you to Jolene in Dana uh, or Port Dana, California. Those are some great cities already that are going to be definitely on my hit list. So if you're in any of those three cities, also let me know. I want to meet you when I'm out there. All right. Like always, connect with me on social media. Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. Dot com is the email social platforms Eric Cacciatore on Instagram Stitcher not Stitcher the hell am I saying Instagram Twitter Snapchat and slash restaurant unstoppable for Facebook that's it for today super pumped in the direction this podcast is going it's all because of you guys listening sharing thank you so much until next time peace out